Luke chapter 3, starting at verse 1. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Draconitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. That's Acts chapter 28, beginning at verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people, or the customs of our fathers. Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen." 
He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Would you like to live the victorious Christian life? Well, I have good news. That's what we are thinking about this afternoon. We are going to see from this passage what it is to live the victorious Christian life. How in these days in which we live, we can live the way God wants in a way that reflects the wonder of what has happened. So here's a passage to give us expectations, to help us understand what life is like, what it should be like, and our part to play so that we can play this victorious Christian life. As we heard, this is our final installment in this series in the book of Acts. If you've been around a while, it's taken us three autumns, 40 installments. But here it is, the end of the book of Acts. Last week, you'll remember, we came to the climax, if you like. We saw that no opponent or enemy could stop God's plan. Paul reached Rome. That is, the message was victorious, that Caesar or anyone or anything else is not Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is utterly victorious. But then what does that look like in practice for us to share in this victory of the Lord Jesus? What will be our experience of it? Now, the main way to answer that question is to read back over the whole of Luke and Acts. That's been preparing us all the way through. But to help pull that together, if you like, here right at the end, after the climax, after the victorious arrival in Rome, Luke has given us just a little bit more at the end of this book, as if to say to us, so Jesus is victorious. What now? Well, before we get into the details, as we've done over the last couple of weeks, we just need to grasp again that this is fitting into a much bigger picture, a bigger story. In fact, go back to the beginning when God created the world and humanity, but humanity turned away and so deserved God's judgment. So the urgent need from the beginning was for salvation. And that's what then drives the story forward. And where does this come from? Well, it comes from God and he begins by making promises. Do you remember? To Abraham, that through him all the nations would be blessed. Well, initially that led to the nation of Israel with its temple and king, but the people couldn't stay faithful to God. So how would God respond? More promises. He actually promised there would be one king above all, also called God's servant, and this servant king would die but then live again. And this king would be over Israel, but not only Israel. Through Isaiah, God prophesied to this servant, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Well, after that, the wait was long, but the beginning of Luke's gospel, that first Christmas, remember the elderly Simeon holding that baby in his arms and saying to the Lord, my eyes have seen your salvation a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Then Jesus grew up and as he began his adult ministry, do you remember his public ministry, John the Baptist announced in the first reading we just heard, prepare the way of the Lord. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. Well, the rest of Luke's gospel shows us how Jesus achieves this salvation through that death and resurrection. 
Then at the end of Luke, the risen Jesus declares that the message about him should be proclaimed to all nations, starting in Jerusalem. That then is what we've seen in Acts. Remember first, Peter and the original disciples, well, they went to Jerusalem and the places nearby. Then from Acts 13, Paul started taking the message to the far-off places, and now he's reached Rome. So that, very briefly, is the story so far. But what now? Where are we at today? Four marks of these days in which we live. First, we live in a time of suffering like Jesus. A time of suffering like Jesus. So if you look down to verse 16, we are told that as Paul is in Rome, he is nevertheless under constant guard. So just imagine the Jews in Rome. They would have seen this fellow Jew arriving but as a prisoner. No doubt they're wondering, what's the story with this man? What has he done? And then in verses 17 to 19, Paul gives to them a highly condensed summary. But just listen very carefully to what he says to them. He was a faithful Jew. He was handed over by the Jews to the Romans. Obvious to them and to all, he was innocent. The Roman authorities wanted to set him free. But the Jews objected. Let me ask, whose story is that? Well, obviously, it's Paul's, of course. But it's a description, isn't it, of what happened to Jesus. Now, we've seen this before many times in Acts. Paul makes the connection between himself and Jesus. Why is he doing that? Well, for a start, it commends Paul as a faithful prophet of God. Paul is embodying in himself the message he's come to preach which is of a suffering saviour. But he's also demonstrating the expectation we have had all through Acts that faithful ministry, those seeking to speak of Jesus, will have to endure difficulties, trials and oppositions. So Paul, if you like, is modelling for us the victorious Christian life. And look how Paul describes it at the end of verse 20. He says, it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. That is a striking combination in that sentence. First of all, the hope of Israel. We've seen recent chapters, he's talking about the hope of the resurrection. There is life from the dead. That's the message. Jesus rose from the dead. He'll share that life, that resurrection life with anyone who comes to him for it. What a glorious message of victory even over sin and death but what will it look like to announce this victorious message well the second half of Paul's sentence I am wearing this chain the last couple of chapters we've seen how Paul crossed the turbulent sea do you remember he shook off that venomous snake we were seeing the mighty victory of the Lord Jesus over chaos and evil and Satan. But let's not forget the whole time that was happening, Paul was a prisoner, guarded in chains. Here at the end of the book of Acts, we're seeing, if you like, the twin expectation for the faithful, victorious believer today. We have this message, which is life and victory and glory in Jesus. But the message is also how that was achieved which is through the suffering and death of the crucified Messiah. And so while we have such hope to share with the world, 
we can expect now to follow in the footsteps of, G of Paul, which are ultimately the footsteps of Jesus himself. And this shouldn't be a surprise. Jesus said this to us many times in Luke's gospel. To take one example, after Jesus performed many remarkable miracles, a huge crowd gathered. What did Jesus choose to say to them? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Why would you follow such a Jesus? Well, obvious, he gives life starting right now. Life with a capital L, life in all its fullness. One day, resurrection life in full. But for now, Jesus says, it will look like death every day. So this is a time of suffering like Jesus. Next mark of these days, this is a time of fulfillment of Israel's scriptures. So after Paul has told these Jewish leaders his story, they wanted to hear the message that he had. And so sure enough, no surprise, he tells them, verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So here we are told Paul speaks at great length from morning till evening, but we can be very grateful. Luke has given us an executive summary. And there are no surprises, are there, given that we've seen it all the way through the book of Acts. What did Paul talk about? Very simply, Jesus and the kingdom of God. Not that those are two different things, but rather that Jesus, the man who'd walked the earth not long before this, was in fact the king of God's kingdom. This kingdom where, astonishingly, there's forgiveness of sins. We are welcomed back to God for a true relationship. And Jesus has brought in this kingdom as a reality. And it's now spreading over all the earth as more and more turn to Jesus as king. Well, that's the summary. But then Paul makes clear it shouldn't have come as a surprise to those Jews in Rome. Look at the end of verse 23. Paul sought to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. That is, all the Old Testament scriptures spoke about this. Jesus and his kingdom, which is for all of us to hear today. So if we want to grow in our confidence of who Jesus is, if we want to understand better these days in which we live, well, God has provided what we need. Go to the scriptures, but not only to the New Testament, but also to the old. Get to know them because the old and the new come together in Jesus and show us more of this kingdom of which he is king and we are now members. So regulars here who attend the 4pm come to our small groups on usual Tuesday evenings. We're seeing this, aren't we? In both the Gospel of John and in Romans, they are chock full of Old Testament references. Maybe at first we're a bit annoyed. We think this is making it all just a bit too hard, more complicated. But actually it's Paul or John inviting us to dig deeper, to see how it all fits together. Yes, it's going to take effort, but it'll be worth it because there's this big picture to see and all the strands will come together so that we are all the more persuaded that this gospel of the Lord Jesus is the culmination of the story of God at work in our world. So back in Rome, imagine Paul telling these Jews 
what a great time to be alive. They'd been in the synagogue each week hearing the law and the prophets, the patterns and the promises in the Old Testament. And Paul is saying to them, it's all now come to fulfillment and fruition. Look at Jesus. It's all about him. How exciting. What's the response? Verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. So it's a mixed response, not for the first time in Acts, and it often led to hostility. And this is a puzzle, isn't it? Surely we think if the Jews had the Old Testament scriptures, which they did, and if the Old Testament scriptures speak so plainly of the one to come, which they do, and if Jesus fulfills those patterns and promises so clearly, which he does, well, surely if you explained it to the Jews, they would see it and be thrilled. Why this unbelief? Verse 25, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Do you see the point that Paul is making? Even this rejection of the Jews is yet more fulfillment of the Scriptures. It was Isaiah. He was sent with a message in his day which he knew would be met with rejection. And so it was with these Jews. And there's a pattern here for us today. Because it really is plain who Jesus is if you set forth the evidence. He's the one the world's been waiting for. He's the one that we need. Even today you can see the correspondence he astonishingly fulfills in ways well outside his control. All that the Old Testament was pointing forward to. And yet today people reject. Just as those Jews did in the first century. So it is a time of fulfillment of Israel's scriptures, but there is more to say about these days in which we live next. A time of salvation for the nations as well. We've reached verse 28. Paul is still speaking to these Jews and says to them, therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. So here, right at the end of Acts, Luke and Paul are trying to get us clear on what are these days in which we live. Well, these are the days of salvation. That's what the world needs. That's what the people that we know need right now, rescue. To experience God's mercy, to enjoy forgiveness of sins, to move from darkness to light. Now, in verse 28, the precise term here for the salvation of God has come only twice before in Luke's gospel. And I've actually read them to you already. It was Simeon right at the beginning who said, my eyes have seen your salvation as he held that baby Jesus. And notice Simeon was a Jew who knew the scriptures. And so he knew that this baby was for the nations also, a light for them. And the second person to use this term for salvation, well, it's John the Baptist, when he says, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Again, John the Jew, but he's quoting Isaiah, so he knows this is for all people. 
And then Jesus himself obviously said the same. For whom did Jesus come? Sinners of whatever kind. Sinners like you and me. And remember Jesus telling Zacchaeus why he had come? To seek and to save the lost. All people of themselves are lost and far away from God with no way back. But Jesus came for lost people like that, like us, to save us. That's why he went to his death and resurrection. And once he had achieved that salvation, he then said, take this forgiveness and proclaim it to all nations. And that's what the book of Acts has been, the story of salvation going out to lost people around the world. So by Acts 13, we find Paul speaking to the Jews and saying, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. So 1 to 13 in Acts, the Jews have heard the message. But then from Acts 13 onwards, they go further afield. And then here in Acts 28, Paul can now say, it's been achieved. He tells the Jews, the salvation of God has now been sent to the Gentiles, to the nations. It is out there, everywhere. God has kept his promise. He has achieved this salvation for all the world through Jesus and his death and resurrection. And so the message is now to go out for all to be rescued. Which fits with what we've seen in our first point. This is why Christians are willing to endure hardship, even suffering in these days. Because our need, our greatest need, has been met in full. We are saved. We are freed from judgment. Our future is utterly secure and it's glorious. So now in the short term, while still alive here on earth, our concern is to be for the salvation of others. And Paul goes on to say there in verse 28, and they, that is the Gentiles, the nations, will listen. Because Paul has understood his own message, what we've seen in the book of Acts. It's not that everyone who hears the message will believe it, but we've seen the word of God will continue to increase and multiply and prevail mightily. Along the way, it will look like it's being rejected again and again, and we might feel that on our own experience. But now we know the message of salvation is powerful to achieve its purpose. As the news goes out, God will be at work, and people, the nations, will listen and receive it. Before we go on, notice again who in particular is hearing that the Gentiles will listen. Here in verse 28, Paul is speaking to the Jews. And in particular, he's speaking to the Jews who are rejecting the message. He's saying to them that they, that is the Gentiles, will listen. Why does Paul say that to the Jews? Is it in a fit of pique? Well, hardly. Rather, he is issuing, if you like, to them a challenge. He's saying those Gentiles, the nations, even though the scriptures were not in the first instance given to them, have come to see that Jesus is the saviour of whom the scriptures speak. So it seems Paul is now saying to those Jews, how about you? Will you not listen as well? It's almost as if Paul wants to make these Jews jealous of what they're now missing out on. And if you want to think more about that, have a read to what Paul said about this in his letter 
to those Romans. Which brings us now to the final sentence of all of Luke's writings, where he tells us that this is a time of proclamation to all people, a time of proclamation to all people. Verse 30, Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I wonder how that ending sounds to you. Maybe not quite what we would have expected at the end of this book. Maybe we were thinking, surely there's going to be a great showdown with Caesar, a decisive vindication of the gospel. But then again, we don't need that. We've already seen that Jesus and the gospel are victorious over every enemy. And maybe, in fact, the non-appearance of Caesar underlines, in the grand scheme of things, the unimportance of the Roman emperor, even him, in comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe we thought there should have been a great gospel event. Now, the Colosseum in Rome hadn't quite been built at this point. So imagine instead another great Roman amphitheater. Surely that should have been filled with people from all over the empire and Paul declaring the wonders of salvation. But that doesn't happen either. Instead, you might feel, well, it doesn't seem to end in any sort of definitive way. It's also, well, humdrum or open-ended, which presumably is precisely Luke's point, that the story doesn't end with Paul reaching Rome. Ultimately, the story was never about Paul anyway. Oh, yes, he had a significant role to play, but part of this bigger picture, the bigger story, by which time now we are meant to have realized, what are these times in which we live? What matters now? Well, we know Jesus has come in fulfillment of the scriptures. He's been victorious and he has brought salvation definitively once and for all. But now what counts is for the word of God, the message of God of this salvation to continue to spread. By this age in Acts, we are to be convinced this is for everyone. And now the work of getting that word out is for all of God's people. We are all to play our part in this greatest story ever, the story of God's salvation. And so that even is what Paul is doing as this book comes to a close. And yes, it's, you might say, low-key and humdrum, because that is what gospel ministry, wonderful and glorious as it is, normally looks like. Although the gospel is speaking of momentous matters, it's usually long-term, slow, as people meet one-to-one, maybe in a small group, maybe in a church gathering like this, slowly speaking and hearing God's word, believing it, and then seeking to live it out. That is what victorious gospel living looks like. Notice verse 30, Paul welcomed all who came to him. Those are weighty words. It's very hard for us to accept and work with all people. It must mean, for a start here, Jews and Gentiles. So yes, Jews in general at this point have rejected the message as prophesied. But the door of salvation is still open to them. 
and to everyone else as well. People like us, but also maybe not like us. People who, otherwise speaking, we would never mix with or associate with at all. But like Paul, we individually and as a church must welcome all to hear the message. And what is the message? I love the way Luke does this. In case we've missed it so far, even the first time in this passage, we're told again, look at verse 31. It is the proclamation of the kingdom of God and the teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. So there we are, final encouragement from Paul as he does it and Luke as he records it. Speak of Jesus, that he is the king, the promised king, that he is Lord of all, and that because of his death and resurrection, forgiveness of sins is on offer and a place in his kingdom forever. That's the message. And look, verse 31, Paul spoke with all boldness and without hindrance. Boldness has been a theme throughout Acts because we as then live in a world hostile to its creator. Doesn't think it needs this salvation. Doesn't want to hear about one who is truly Lord of all, including them. Doesn't want to hear that there is one before whom we will all be held to account. But that is the truth. Now is the time for those who've realized these things to speak of them openly. That will take boldness because we've been prepared for what might follow. But in Acts, we've seen that's why we've been given the spirit of God himself, that we are never alone. God will equip us and strengthen us to do this work which he has called us to do. So be bold and be assured. Luke ends by saying the word of God was spoken without hindrance, which again is not to say there won't be difficulties or obstacles to the word of God going out. But Acts has shown us the word of God is able to and will overcome, whether it's geographic boundaries, whether it's ethnic diversity, whether it's social differences, whether it's legal obstacles, whether it's theological barriers. Ultimately, there will be no hindrance. In God's kindness, the salvation of Jesus is for all people. And the word of God is able to reach them all with this glorious salvation. I'll lead us in a prayer. Our Father, we do thank you so much for all that you've shown us through this book of Acts. We praise you again for this wonderful story of your salvation achieved in the Lord Jesus. We thank you again for those who, with courage, brought the message of salvation to each one of us. And so we now pray that this message of salvation would continue to go out to all sorts of people across this city and in all the earth. Would you equip us by your spirit to play our part in this great story with boldness? And we ask this for your glory. Amen.